Hello. Hello. I feel like we just did this. Oh, like, that's because we did. We literally just recorded this episode, yeah. guys. Like, so <laughs> let's let's explain what has happened in the past twenty minutes. <laughs> well, we're gonna rewind the clock here. It's six fifty-seven. It's six thirty-seven. Yes. On the clock. I had just gotten done watching Missy Elliott and Lizzo perform at the VMAs. That's important. I just finished my dinner. I was at home teaching my reteaching myself Photoshop. I was in a good place. I was on the couch with my dogs. And I was pulling up my computer and I run it through this thing that matches loudness. It's a audio thing. And I listen and play it back and I go, huh, why does this sound like shit? And that's because... We recorded in a tin can. Yes. <laughs> we recorded through our laptop speakers instead of our very nice interface and mic. Podcasting 101. <laughs> so, Took us seven episodes to get here, but we finally messed up. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was bound to happen. Yeah. But here we are, re-recording. Which is honestly okay because i said something really dumb on the last one yeah you know what this is gonna be good it'd be great i already ran through it we can see that as a just try not trial what's whirling for run through yeah it was a test run it was a test run there's the word test run it was it was just run through it now it's perfect now nope. this is going to be the best damn episode you've ever heard. The only downside is we drank all our beers yeah. on the last one, I so we have water. I have, we'll do this ahead of time. I have a great value purified <laughs> drinking water with flavor enhancing minerals. Let's see what the back says. Distributed by Walmart stores. Thank you, Walmart. So there you go. I'm and drinking water from my own fridge in a Starbucks cup, so... <laughs> But hey, you recycled that Starbucks cup. It's the the two dollar plastic one they sell you. Oh, I paid for this Starbucks cup. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but it saves me. I think it's five cents if I get a drink in it, which is totally stupid and definitely not worth it. But I still bought the cup. Hey, save the environment from less plastic. Five cents at a time. There you go. Except I never have it with me, but that's beside the point. Well, you have it today. Anyway, we have a review that we, we need do. to read. Again. And then I, the other thing that we didn't, when you talk about it, is Aerosmith. Because that oh, was on the last yeah. episode that we just killed. Yeah. So read us this review from our, our friend that we don't know who they are. We don't know who you are, but are we thankful for you? Absolutely. They, they go by the name Meowed Cats Forever 16. Which is a great name. Yes. And the title of this review is New Fave Podcast. Thank you. I got really excited to find this podcast because, number one, I needed a podcast about my favorite topic, rock, and number two, it was hosted by women, which is rare in the rock podcast world. Yeah, it is. Damn right. I wasn't disappointed. Beth Ann and Leah, that's us, are such fun hosts, you want to have a beer with them. You also, Not today. <laughs> no. All I can offer you is Great Value Water. <laughs> which I freely give to you. Yes. You also learn a lot. They research and present everything so well, eagerly waiting for the next podcast. Keep it up. Thank you, Meow Cats. We appreciate it. If you're ever in town, hit us up. We'll go grab an actual beer with you. Yes. And not great value water. 
The other thing that we should talk about before we get started is there's an update to the originally recorded version of this. Since our last recording session, I have seen Aerosmith and Queen live. Damn. Queen, Queen plus Adam Lambert. Uh, Aerosmith was incredible. We had very, very, very close seats. Like, Yeah, they were crazy. Unreal close. Your photos are insane of my, how, how detailed Steven Tyler is. My mom has wanted to see them her entire life. So she was like, this may be the last chance because they're real old now. So she just got really close seats and it was amazing. They still know how to just put on an incredible show. I feel like because I was so close, I didn't fully appreciate like the screens and like technology that was going on behind Mm -hmm. them because I could just really see the catwalk, but it was incredible. Like one point Steven Tyler laid on the floor and he jumped straight up and I can't even do that and I'm only 26 so it was it was unreal and then just this past Saturday I saw Queen I cried it was all great uh the the thing that got me was they they have a catwalk too on their Mm -hmm. show and they have like all this technology like screens and stuff happening behind them or whatever but then here comes little Brian May and his guitar Grandpa Brian with his his guitar and he he like introduces love of my life and literally the first opening chords all the cell phones just start popping up all over the arena and then so he sings and he talked he talked about how the last time they were in charlotte it was 1980 he didn't know what took him so long to come back and how different the band was when they were there in 1980 uh so then he's singing love of my life and then on the last chorus on the screens they superimpose footage of freddie singing it and then it looks like he and Brian are duetting on the screens. And I, I just, like, started sobbing. I was... It was amazing. But let's go back there. 1980. <laughs> yeah, it was the last time. That means was. Freddie was still around. Yeah. Yeah. And John Deacon was still in the band. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> that too. But that's crazy. Yeah. So the last time they were there, Freddie was alive. Yeah. And I think it was wow. at the Spectrum Center when they performed. Oh. So it was that's cool. Pow- that's really powerful. Especially with a duet and it knowing, was, like... hit me right in the feels. I bet. And then he sang 39 Live, which is one of my favorite songs. And it was just... He's adorable. Uh, but Adam Lambert, oh my god. He's, like... He's not Freddie. And he, he doesn't even pretend to be Freddie. He gets up at the very, like, second song and is like, you know, I'm just a fan like you guys. I still wake up every day thinking I'm the luckiest guy in the whole world because I get to mm. tour with these two. Yeah. Uh, he just vocally is astounding oh i'm sure he killed it he's amazing he has one of the best vocal ranges probably next to fred yeah like he is the only successor no he's not really a successor like he's not taking over the band like but he's the only person who could actually do it yeah and i mean even brian and roger have said that like this is the only guy they've ever trusted to go do a whole nother tour Mm -hmm. at the ages of 69 and 72 yeah so yeah if they come, if they make it back around to the U.S., I highly recommend going to see them. Buy your tickets early. Every seat in the Spectrum Center was sold and occupied. Yeah. So scalpers definitely trying to sell either buy our tickets or sell us tickets. We got asked like three different times. It was very awkward. Hmm. But go see either of those. End of rant. I'm hmm. Leah. I'm Bethann. And this is She Will Rock You.
Da-da-da. All right. What, what, Back are, what are we again. talking about this time? I have no idea. Well, unlike last time, I completely like botched the intro. Oh, so, yeah. So now I got another chance. Take two. So we've been at this for three months. Has it been three months already? It has been three months already. And we're already 500 downloads in. Yeah, thank you guys for that. That's another thing that didn't happen the last time we recorded this. I know. We still can't believe it. Yeah, I checked the stats probably more than it's healthy. So thank you. <laughs> so we've been at this for three months or so. And we've mainly covered bands from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mm-hmm. And if you've noticed, Leah... There's a streamline that connects all of these bands. And that's, they were all inspired by... Could it be blues music? Blues, rhythm, and jazz. They also all have horrible first band names. But that's yes. not what we're here to talk about. No. <laughs> that's, that's a later episode. <laughs> that's next time. <laughs> but I think it's fair for us to dip our foot into this pool and give credit where credit is due. And I can't think of a better way than to talk about Motown and more specifically, Stevie Wonder. I just think this is a perfect way for us to really talk about rhythm, blues, jazz, and the importance of what Motown brought to rock and roll moving forward, Mm -hmm. as well as artists before Motown that inspired Motown. Also, if you read this episode title and you thought, Stevie Wonder's not rock and roll... It's our podcast. We're going to do what we want anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really true. <laughs> this is not the first time we're going to stretch it. No. No, no, no. <laughs> or not the last. I guess this is the first. It's the first. Not the last. Yes. Will not be the last. But let's dive into his early life. He's born under the name of Steveland Hardaway Jenkins in Saginaw, Michigan on May 13th, 1950. Steveland's not a real name. That's that's what Wikipedia told me. We know I how. trust them. I just don't think that that was a real name before that his parents named him that. This is an interesting sidebar. But do you remember in high school they used to tell you Wikipedia is not a legitimate yes. research source? And here I am doing a podcast <laughs> based off of 60 to 70% Wikipedia. So jokes on you, teachers. Think about that a lot. It's it's a for any high school students listening, it is a great place to start your research. You just scroll down to the footnotes where Correct. everything is cited, and you use those resources in yes. your paper. Yes, that's been a life hack from Leanne Bethan. <laughs> but he's born in Steveland. His father was named Carl Judkins. Judkins, I should say. His mother was Lulu May Hardaway, and she was an accomplished songwriter. A fact that will become very important later on. Now, Stevie was born six weeks early and suffered from retinopathy because of his premature age. And that's what leads to him becoming blind shortly after at a very young age. I feel Uh, like that's common with babies that are born earlier in those time periods. Yes. It has to do a lot with like the little little incubator that they're put in. Which is why I wonder if it's why they give babies a little baby blindfolds now. I don't know if that's why, but that feels like that's why. If you're a baby doctor. Please let us know. I don't know. There's probably a better term, but I'm going to say baby doctor. Pediatrician? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's baby doctor. Okay. Let us know. Um... So his parents divorced when Wait, he was... Wait, oh. also six weeks early is not 
that early. Like Josh was six weeks early. I was four weeks early. Really? I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it was going back to this incubator. It's like yeah, yeah. His eyes didn't like. They just sent me home. They were like, eh, she's small, but she'll grow. That was a lie. Just, just feed her some spinach. She'll Basically. be fine. But anyway, his parents divorced when he was four, and his mom moved him and his other five siblings to oh, Detroit. Too many siblings. Yeah. <laughs> One was enough for yep, me. Yep, same. <laughs> he started playing piano at a young age and quickly became a multi-instrumentalist. And he played piano, harmonica, and drums and percussion instruments. While still in middle school, I, I believe, he formed a singing duet with a friend. Their name, which is the most adorable name that we've covered so far for first band names, was Stevie and John. Okay, that one's a winner. It really is. Because it's in Bluesology. <laughs> even if they stayed together, it would work. Yeah. It's adorable. But that's what we really have on his childhood, air quotes, because now we're going to shift into his career. Okay. But before we do that, let's get into Motown really quick. First off, just to give you a brief history on Motown, this probably won't be the last time we're going to talk about Motown, but probably let's not. just... Yeah. Let's just give a brief overview and why it's important. First off, I just think Motown is one of, if not the most important music genre ever. Like, period. And you know those are big words coming from me because of how much I love 70s and Woodstock. But the reason I say that is because we would not have the music we have today and also the socio-political movements we have today without Motown. Or the artists that helped fuel the idea behind Motown. Those rhythm, blues, and jazz artists. I can see that. So, Motown was founded by Barry Gordy in 1959. And we did this on the last episode where I showed Leah a picture of whenever you search Barry Gordy. And then (laughs) in the Google search results, it's like, people also search for... Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Here, I'll show it to you again. And you got... Smokey Robinson. That makes sense. Diana Ross. Also makes sense. Rhonda Ross Kendrick. That's his daughter. Marvin Gaye. Jermaine Jackson. Mary Wilson. And then Red Foo from LMFAO. Who is his son. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, as per the norm, you got to go to that wiki page and find out. So, it turns out his partner in that music duo is Red Foo's nephew, A.K.A. the grandson to Barry Gordy. It's just a musical prodigy family. And it really is. And um, I mean, it makes sense that they would all go into music from his dad. Because his dad was a songwriter too. But anyway, I digress. Barry was a young singer-songwriter. Started Motown with a loan of $800. It was originally called Tamla, but then the name was changed to Motown. Tamla was kind of designated down to like one of the record labels under Motown, if that okay. makes sense. So, like, if you have, like... A subsidy of Motown, right? Yes. There you go. And he changed the name because he wanted a hybrid of Motor City, which is where they were located, by adding the warmth and soul of a town, hence Motown. The inspiration for the record label came from when Barry worked at an assembly line for Lincoln and Mer- Mercury plant car plant and he has this really interesting 
quote that I'm going to read here about his time there and how he came up with the idea. And he says, Every day I watched how a bare metal frame rolling down the line would come off the other end, a spanking brand new car. What a great idea. Maybe I could do the same thing with my music. Create a place where a kid off the street could walk in one door, unknown, go through the process, and come out another door, a star. It's so poetic. It really is. And he not only was contributed to bringing Stevie Wonder to fame, but Diana Ross of the Supremes, Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gaye, the Jackson Five and Michael Jackson, Brian McKnight, who just came to Lynchburg yes, he and did. performed, Boys to Men, Erica Badu, who does a great, great guest vocal on Janelle Monae's song, Queen. Okay. Lionel Richie. Like, I can go on. Good, because I was about to run out of fingers. Yeah, what are you up to? Nine? <laughs> Nine. Ooh, damn. So, it, it, but that just goes to show you such an amazing career of talent onto a stage during the time when society was trying to cut African-American stars from anything. Mm-hmm. And to give you an example of what that was like as an African-American artist pre-civil rights, we actually have a parking lot in Lynchburg, and I heard this on a podcast for our city, where, and it's crazy because I park in it every day. Yep. It's literally our parking garage for work. Yes. And on the second floor of that parking garage, artists like James Brown, Etta James, Otis Renade, casual, would pack out that parking lot and that's where they would perform. Now, but then why were they performing in a parking lot and not a theater? Hmm. Right down the block. I don't know. <laughs> it's because now they did have African-American people play at this certain theater, which I don't think is good idea for us to name at the moment. Let's not name them. Um, well, there were multiple theaters at the time in, yes, in the city. We do have to keep that in mind, but like it was really the place for African-Americans to perform for was in this parking lot. That's where they, yes, they could have gone to that other theater, but that theater had a balcony where you couldn't see anyone. This is true. But you go to a parking lot. Yes. Literally before they just did it. Nah, let's not name it. Literally when that, when that theater was open, the segregated balcony, you saw the ceiling. Yes. Like, Sorry. And the the catwalk where the dude would you know drop stuff down to the actors. There was no good seat for the no. the African American population to watch. Yes, but you go to a parking garage, everyone can see. Yeah, it's GA all around. <laughs> exactly, and so but that just gives you a glimpse of why Motown was so important because Motown helped launch the civil rights. Um, we're going to touch a little bit on that in Stevie's music. Sorry, what's my spot? I have a totally random story that I remembered after ah. this. It's a small story. Okay. I read the other day that the re- one of the reasons that... Is it Ella Fitzgerald? Yeah. Ella, Ella Fitzgerald's Fitzgerald. career launched. She was having a really hard time booking... This is totally just a sidebar. She was having a really hard time booking gigs, and she was really good friends with Marilyn Monroe. So Marilyn Monroe told this... I forget what nightclub it was. It was some nightclub, I think, in Chicago. If they booked her, she would be sure to be in the front row every night, which then, you know, brought press and all the paparazzi. So they booked her for, like, I want to say a week gig, and she was there every night, front row, like she promised, and that's what launched her career. That's amazing. Because she couldn't get any bookings otherwise. I think she played here at Lynchburg, too. 
That would make sense. Yeah, but I think she played at the Armory, which was also level playing, only one floor. Yeah. Level playing field. Here's why Motown is important. Motown was one of the first times in American culture that the barriers of race were broken down. We're going to put air quotes around broken down, but continue. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for clarifying. But Motown became the music of the new youth, a music of change. And the Motown Museum has this wording, and I'm going to paraphrase, or this quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but everybody, no matter the skin tone, were looking up to Diana Ross or Smokey Robinson for like one of the first times where they were just, anyone was allowed to. Mm -hmm. That's monumental Mm -hmm. during that time. And that right there, the breaking down of those barriers, that unity, that opportunity to provide a stage for change, perspective, and a rallying cry for justice. That is the power of music. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible, and I really hope we don't forget that, that power behind that music. I know, you're shaking your head like, (laughs) it's early. (laughs) We'll we'll see what culture does. Uh, Let's see, it's 2019 now, where are we at? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's all we're going to comment. But... Maybe this will be a good reminder from where we've yes. come from. Yes. What we've dealt with. How we can get over it. Let's get better. We can get better with music. With good lyrics, good rhythm, and a good heart. Anyway, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> and Motown. Um, and back to Stevie. Leah, guess how old? If you remember from I time. should know this, but I think I forgot. Good. This works out great. <laughs> Let me let you guys in on a little secret. We record these things, and I walk out of this door, and I literally forget everything I said until I proof the episode. Oh, same. So this is all literally pretty much my genuine reaction again, because I forgot what we talked about. (laughs) But with that, guess how old Stevie was when he signed to Motown? Uh, You get one guess. I think 14? 11. Oh, I'm still wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But hence the air quotes from earlier. He is discovered by Ronnie White, the co-founder of the Miracles. Now, I don't know the scenario in which this whole exchange happened, but Stevie plays at age 11, mind you, his song Lonely Boy. Ronnie immediately gets him to audition for Motown Records, and then shortly after, he gets signed to Motown's Tamla Records. They bill him as Little Stevie Wonder. That's not going to age well. (laughs) <laughs> and the record label puts him in care, under the care, of songwriter Clarence Paul. Clarence would mentor little Stevie, help him write, slash co-write songs on a first few albums. So Steve, little Stevie immediately starts recording two albums. Casually. But their release dates were flipped. The second album he recorded became his debut album. And his debut album is called... The jazz soul of little Stevie. Uh, Little 11-year-old Stevie. Well, the album cover, which I'm going to make one of the graphics for this episode, is the cutest thing I've ever seen. It's 11-year-old Stevie making this pose that everyone made in the late 50s and early 60s. If I could describe it, it would be, hey, everybody, kind of pose. Yes. Hands up. (laughs) You know, maybe I can picture it. I'm doing it. You can't nice, see it. Nice, big smile, head tilted sideways. So basically, a little bit. how I pose in every photo. Correct. 
That is that is right. But he's the cutest little kid. But here's an interesting thing about that album. He barely sings on it. In fact, it's one of two albums where he rarely sings. Hmm. He just plays percussion, harmonica, and piano. His second album, though, is called Tribute to Uncle Ray. Aww. When was Ray Charles... I didn't think about this the first time. When was Ray Charles's career? Oh, uh, great question. Yeah. Let's consult. How, like, I feel like he had to have been big at the... T- I don't know. Let's, let's, let's consult, consult the Google. According to... The Google. So he pioneered the soul music genre during the 1950s. So so he hadn't been around that long when Stevie tributed to him. Yeah, I think that's fair. He So that album, Tribute to Uncle Ray, it's right around, if he's 11, 1961. Okay. So yeah, he really hadn't been around that, that long. No, he hadn't been on the scene that for that long. That's cool. But... The album consists of mostly covers of Ray Charles songs. That makes sense. But there is an original called Sunset on there. I think it was written or co-written by Clarence Paul. Both of those albums were not successful. Hmm. One of his songs got close to breaking the Billboard 100. It's called, I call it pretty music, but the old people call it blues. (laughs) I just love that title. <laughs> that is a great song title. Are you sure he wasn't writing Panic at the Disco songs? Titles? Oh my gosh. Literally. That joke's only going to resonate with a small amount of people, but. <laughs> is it weird that I just heard the song in my head and no. how it would have went? <laughs> is, it, is it anything like the punk remix of Old Town Road? <laughs> yes. That joke is also going to only resonate with a small amount of people. <laughs> But that song is written by Barry Gordy. Got close to the top, but dropped two weeks later. However, little Stevie goes on his first tour called the Chitlin Circuit, which you need to explain again what Chitlins are, because... We're going to start defining terms on this podcast that are Southern terms, because someone questioned me what a Piggly Wiggly was. Hi, Alex. (laughs) Um, So Chitlins, if you don't know what they are... Because when, when I first heard about the circuit, I said, that was in the South, wasn't it? And Beth Ann said, yep, I don't know what chitlins are. Chitlins are fried pig intestines, and they smell absolutely horrible. If you're wondering how I know this, it's because my family is very Southern. And at Thanksgiving and Christmas, a whole bunch of my older relatives disappear to the basement to fry chitlins and smell up the whole house. And it's real gross, and I've refused to try them my entire life. They swear by them. They say they're delicious. One of my great uncles is part of a Chitlins club. There's a I don't Chitlin know, club? I don't know what this entitles other than eating Chitlins. Is it at like an Elks Lodge? I don't know. I don't know. It turns into a Chitlin lodge? I think it's probably just an excuse for a bunch of old guys to hang out and talk. That's what I Talk about the olden days. Basically. But Chitlins are, there are people who like them. I can see why they named the circuit after it. Don't eat them. If anyone ever offers them to you, it's like tripe. Just don't. Oh, yeah. Oh, all the old Italian ladies I grew up with are always like shoving tripe down my throat because it made me, you know, stronger, like immunity-wise. I only know what tripe is because there's an episode. Do you remember the show on Nickelodeon as told by Ginger? Yes. There was a show where one of them had to eat tripe. Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) That's the only reason. 
kind. I've never actually Good encountered callback. it in real life. No, it comes in a soup. In like yeah. Italian tradition, it's like the soup. And it's all it is. From what I remember, it's just tripe with like crushed, like a couple crushed tomatoes and a broth. Ew. Maybe some basil. At least we fry ours. So it just tastes like (laughs) other fried food. Well, you know, you got the, you know, grease to help it go down. Welcome to the South. Everything is fried. No. In Italian culture, throw some tomatoes. You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. Just get, or some olive oil. And cheese. Get it down. And cheese. That too. Um, Anyway, (laughs) on that lovely. Chitlins. Chitlin rabbit trail. They, little Stevie perform, performs. Performs. <laughs> Permagersh. <laughs> little Stevie performs on the Chitlin circuit, which consisted of venues where black artists were accepted. So kind of like the Green Book, but for venues okay. is my interpretation. Also, side note, America, what the f***? <laughs> I'm going to leave that out. Don't worry. But, okay. But that needs to just be said because I feel like no one else will just say it. Yeah. I'm going to just say it. America, explain. <laughs> explain yourself. <laughs> anyway, he records a live album, a 20 minute performance in Chicago. And it's, the album was called Recorded Live The 12 Year Old Genius. Oh, he's so young. He's, I know. And he's so cute when he's up. I mean, he's just this cute little kid. And on the live album, he plays his song Fingertips, which is off his first album called The Jazz Soul of Stevie Wonder. Then all of a sudden, that song becomes a major hit. And I'll tell you why. Because it's the first time the audience really sees who little Stevie is. He's a high energy, charismatic kid. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's... You can listen to that live recording and it's so, it's so adorable. I mean that in like, not a negative or backhanded way, but this kid's- In an endearing way. In an endearing way, absolutely. Like his energy even comes through this track. That's cool. And- That takes a lot. It does. But it's Stevie playing his harmonica age 12 throughout the whole song, a little bit of singing here and there. Um, there's bongos playing in the background and he's pumping up the crowd with his 12 year old voice saying, come on. It's, there's just so much joy in that performance and you can just hear it because you hear the crowd dancing and cheering. It's great. I just picture like young Jackson, young Michael Jackson type. And he kind of sounds like that too. He sounds like a young Michael Jackson. Okay. But here's a fun story. I don't know if you remember this from our last recording. Probably not. The, <laughs> the song, I, the fingertip song, was part of an encore that the replacement slash fill-in bassist was not prepared for. <laughs> and you can hear him saying, what key? <laughs> Just don't play, buddy. In the background. And, I mean, that's a musician's worst nightmare. <laughs> anyway. The song rises to number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100, and little Stevie, who is now 13, becomes the youngest person to top the Billboard chart. I wonder if that's been broken since. I don't know. We should Google it real fast. Okay. Because I'm very curious. Youngest? Because 13 is really young. Person. Not youngest person in the world. Here's my options. Youngest person in the world. Youngest person to climb Mount Everest. Youngest person in space. Youngest person to go to college. Youngest person to win an Oscar. 
youngest person in the world is such a bad thing to Google because yeah. that changes like literally every second when there's a new baby born. The top billboard charts. Who's Googling that? Yeah. I don't know. There's like 7 billion people in the world. Someone's got to think it. <laughs> Let's check out this billboard.com list. Okay, under 18 and number one. So Billie Eilish is on there. Yeah, but she's 18. Well, 17 when she did it. Okay. Shawn Mendes is 16. Wow. I didn't realize he was that young. There's some Plus. really loud bugs outside. Justin Bieber was 16. Demi Lovato was 16. Miley Cyrus was 15. Wow. Or 14. When wow. Because Hannah Montana took the... Miss, Miss My girl Hillary Duff with Metamorphosis. Yeah. Ooh, that was an album. <laughs> that was an album, let me tell you. I'm finding it interesting that all of these artists are artists we grew up with, but continue. Yes. Um, but she was 15 when that dropped. Dang. Britney Spears was 17. Leanne Rhymes was 15? Wow. She was 15. She didn't look 15 in the album cover. Look at her. She looks like she's 21. Yeah, she does. They put a lot of makeup on her. Leanne Rhymes. Tiffany. I don't know who that is. <laughs> who is Tiffany? So she's 16. Okay, so Stevie right, and there's Wonder. Stevie. 12. Who's Wait. Ricky? Ricky Nelson. Ricky Nelson, turning 18. Okay. That's it. So it's Stevie. So as far as we can tell with our one page of Google search, that record still stands. Woo! Congrats, Stevie. Our generation's going to take credit for most of the other ones. Yes. So anyway, 13, Billboard Hot 100. He's also number one on the R&B charts as well, which I think is poetic for that time. Yeah. That's really awesome. But everything's going well for little Stevie. Until. Knock, knock. Puberty. <laughs> Damn it. I was hoping you didn't remember that joke. <laughs> it's funny when I remember it though. <laughs> But poor Stevie's voice starts changing. And his next record doesn't do well because of it. Aww. And it, it's not, I shouldn't be laughing. It's, it must have been heartbreaking for 13-year-olds. Yeah, but also, in retrospect, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it gets to a point where the record label considers ending his contract early. Now that's sad. Yeah, that's... that's Give the kid a chance. But... They keep him anywhere, and it's around this time that little Stevie turns into Stevie, because he ain't not, little anymore. He ain't little anymore. And during the rest of the, of the 60s, Stevie has a few number one hits, Uptight, Everything's Alright, Blowing in the Wind, which is a Bob Dylan cover, hmm. but he also begins to write for other artists on the Motown record label, such as Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. There's also an album which he recorded during this time. That deserves a shout out, and it's called Yvette's Red Now, which is Stevie Wonder backwards. And you gotta give props to probably 15 year old Stevie That's at this point and how he's thinking. A very 15 year old thing to do. <laughs> but that's an easy listening instrumental album. Oh, it didn't go anywhere. Where did the name come from? Huh? Why did he name it that? Because it's Stevie Wonder backwards. You didn't say that. I did. did. Did I miss that? You missed it. Am I half asleep over here? Yeah, apparently. Yes. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's 7.36. It's almost 
Two, it's two hours from my bedtime, guys. This is the time I Same. start winding down. Same. The, <laughs> around nine o'clock is when I start falling on the sleep from... Oh, God. Falling asleep on the couch. This is us without alcohol, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you mess up your first recording. <laughs> anyway, I got to move on. I got too much to cover. I think it's going to be like three hours long. Oh, shit. We're already 40 minutes in. I got to hurry up. Okay. No, keep going. I, I, the people deserve it after we messed up. That's true. I hope you're all enjoying this episode because we are. Also, there's a good like six minutes you're going to cut out anyway. So. Yeah, probably. But at the end of that decade, however, 1968 to 1970 to be exact, he has a string of hits. I was made to love her. Mm-hmm. My Sherry Amore. Mm-hmm. For Once in My Life, which mm-hmm. is a great song. I mean, all these are great songs, but that's just one of my favorites. And the big hit, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours, which his mother helped co-write with him. Mom also helped with I Was Made to Love Her, I Don't Know Why I Love Her, and You Met Your Match. But Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours was Stevie's first self-produced song. How old is he? Ish? If it's 1968, he's 18. Okay. Yeah. But 1970 rolls along, and this decade is Stevie Wonder's most popular years. But he starts off the decade marrying songwriter and former Motown secretary Sarita Wright at age 20. She helps him write the next album, Where I'm Coming From. And this is where Stevie's music begins to change in two ways. First, he starts experimenting with synthesis synthesizers good old synthesizers after hearing british american electronic group tonto's expanding headband they didn't last very long they did not (laughs) their only their claim to fame is that they created the world's first and largest multi-timbral polyphonic analog synthesizer i understood each of those words individually (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, you don't have a multi-timbal polyphonic analog synthesizer at your home? I still don't know what you said. <laughs> anyway, second, his music begins to highlight social problems in America. However, this album doesn't do well. In fact, another Motown artist, Marvin Gaye, released an album around similar themes around a similar time. And his album thrives instead. Stevie's album... Is seen as Wikipedia quotes from the Rolling Stones, Gay's album was successful while Wonder's album was seen as failing due to self-indulgent and cluttered production and undistinguished and pretentious lyrics and an overall lack of unity and flow. It was his first time producing his own album. Yeah. Give him a break. And yeah, he's 20 years old. Yeah. He hasn't stepped into his footing yet. Yeah. But... It's a good... The way I see it in retrospect, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Anyway. So 1972, he renews his contract with Motown and produces the album Music On My Mind, which he further explores the same socio-political topics. He also collaborates with our friends, Tonto's Expanding Headband. Okay. (laughs) Do they bring their whatever the heck it was? Oh, their (laughs) multi-timbral polyphonic... Analog synthesizer? That thing. Yeah. No, I'm sure I'm sure it came along. <laughs> it's the largest, so it took a while to transport. It had its yes. own airplane seat. <laughs> no, it had its own airplane. <laughs> it's like the 
first computer and took up the whole room. <laughs> that's what I exactly imagined. <laughs> anyway, but that same year, 1972, he releases another album called Talking Book. And here's where the hits start coming. Because on that album is Superstition, which, yeah, it's literally, I think, I go back and I just listen to that song periodically. I had it stuck in my head randomly today for oh, no reason. So. Great song. <laughs> also, You Are the Sunshine of My Life is on that. Very nice, sweet song. Both of those songs hit number one on the Billboard 100, and that album certifies gold. During that time, he tours with our good friends, the Rolling Stones. Hey. He also wins three Grammys collectively for both songs. I can see the Stones really liking Stevie Wonder. Yeah. With their history of And I can see them, yeah, I can see see that working well. Yeah. He even performed Superstition on Sesame Street. Yes. And we got to bring back our bro. I love Sesame Street. Shout out to the (laughs) seven-year-old in the clip on YouTube that I found. (laughs) We'll post it. From 1972, who is just headbanging <laughs> in the background. If you're out there, hit us up. We want to talk to you. <laughs> the Rock lives with him. <laughs> he was not there for superstitious. He wanted, uh, he wanted a little heavier. <laughs> I really hope he like formed a death metal band. Uh, if, I'm, That's if, where I hope his future went. If anyone knows about this kid, please let us please, know. Please, we want to know. Very interesting. We want to know what happened to him. Also, I love you, Sesame Street. All that you do. <laughs> Just want to put that out All there. that you taught us. <laughs> All that you taught us. I probably was exposed to some of these artists because of Sesame Street. Not that's a great lie. point. No, that's actually a very good yeah. point. Yeah. That's uh, another episode. We'll talk about that at some other point. That would be a great episode. Sesame Street, bro. Yeah. Just Sesame Street. Sesame Street musicians. It's a better idea than what came out of the last ones. So we're going to take it. <laughs> but in 1973, we see the album Inversions come out. Which has to be one of the best albums made. It's still covering those social political themes. It's got songs like Higher Ground, Living for the City, which might be my favorite Stevie song. Okay. All in Love is Fair, Golden Lady. It also includes a song, He's Mission Know-It-All, which is an anti-Richard Nixon song. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> And the album is ranked number 23 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Which I started looking through, composing some kind of chart if we want to tackle listening to these. Oh, we should. There's, I've only gotten, I'm working backwards, because the article's written backwards from yeah. 500 to 1. There's, he beat out so many big albums. Like, I bet. It's, a, it's incredible, the I, albums in that list, but. Yeah. A, I'm excited to go through that list. It's a very high place on that list. We're not going to be able to fit it in one year. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Maybe it'll be a two-year journey. It's definitely a two-year journey. But he won three Grammys, including Album of the Year. But three days after the release of Inversions, he's on the way to a show in Durham, North Carolina, when he gets into a serious accident, which puts him in a coma for four days. Dang. And what happened in that accident was, I guess, his friend was driving and... This log truck was in front of him. No, nope. the logs came nope. through. That is like my biggest fear. Yeah. I do not hang out behind log trucks when I'm driving. I yeah. pass them as soon as possible. No, that's any that's really some... even like pipe, PVC pipe. Yeah, no. You get around that sucker. So any fast. truck carrying anything. Don't don't hang out behind that. No, I agree. And as a result, he partially lost his sense of smell and temporarily lo- temporarily lost 
his sense of taste. Jeez. An excerpt from his friend and tour director, I'm going to read this quote. He says, I remember when I got to the hospital in Winston-Salem. Man, I couldn't even recognize him. His head was swollen up about five times normal size, and nobody could get through to him. I knew that he likes to listen to music really loud, and I thought maybe if I shouted in his ear, I might reach him. The doctor told me to go ahead and try. It couldn't hurt him. The first time I didn't get any response, but the next day I went back and I got right down in his ear and sang higher ground. His hand was resting on my arm and after a while his fingers started going in time with the song. Mm. I said, yeah, this dude's going to make it. I love that story so much. That's amazing. So he gets back on the road in 1974 and releases an album. Shortly after he tours, uh, called Fullingness First Finale. Finale. That's too many Fs. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna re- read it again because I probably won't pronounce it. Alliteration. Well. <laughs> too much alliteration. Um, that has songs "You Haven't Done Nothing," which is another sweeping critique of Richard Nixon. Boogie on Reggae Woman, and that album wins Grammy Award for Album of the Year. Nice. In 1976, though. Stevie releases his most critically successful. It's also regarded as one of the most important albums ever. It's called Songs in the Key of Life. Great album title. Yeah, I love it. It's a double album with a bonus four-song EP. And I do have to say... That's an intense set. Yeah, it is. But I've been listening to that album ever since I wrote this episode. I've been listening to that album for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's good. I, I Good? No. It's amazing. Okay. Like, just some of the complexities of these songs, Mm -hmm. along with these lyrics, because he always switches between kind of more romantic songs, socio-political songs, and then some songs about his family. Oh. Like, each one is just great. Okay. And each one is different, too. Yeah, I need to listen to it. Each song has its own different feel to it. But anyway, let's talk about the background of this album. It's 1975. And Stevie wants to quit music. He wants to move to Ghana and he wants to help children with disabilities. It's a good reason to quit music. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. If that's how his career decided then, hey, more power to you. But he mainly wants to do this because he is fed up with the U.S. government. And I mean same. Big move. <laughs> but he finally decides to sign another contract with Motown. And it's his biggest deal to date. It's $37 million, which is $172 million today. That's a lot of million dollars. Yeah. And there's a ton of ambition building behind this album. The album was supposed to be released in October 1975, but it is delayed because Stevie decided he wanted to do more mixing. So Motown decides to release shirts that say, we're almost finished. It's just a white t-shirt with... That kind of ball house print that says, we're almost finished. I appreciate and that. And I think they sold out a lot of those shirts. Um, but the album release... need to remake that shirt. I would buy that sell shirt. Them. Yeah. Someone get on that. That would be awesome. Not us. <laughs> <laughs> we're not there yet. <laughs> we do not have that money for that. <laughs> but the album released September 28th, 1976, which is almost a year before it's supposed to be released. Before or after? 
after. Okay, that like, makes more sense. Yeah, after. <laughs> I was like, they worked really fast. <sighs> after it was supposed to be released. But it has great songs like I Wish, Sir Duke, Isn't She Lovely. I'm going to throw this song in here because I can't stop listening to it. It's called Summer Soft. Go listen to okay. it. It's incredible. He does like four key changes. Love a good key change. <laughs> it's great. But it's his signature album. And he sells 10 million units. He wins four Grammys, including Album of the Year. Many artists cite it as one of their favorite albums. Get ready to count again. You ready? Elton John. Michael Jackson. George Michael. Prince. Mariah Carey. Whitney Houston. And the former Pantera lead vocalist, (laughs) Philip Anselmo. That is seven. But there's a lot more, trust me. I only, there was maybe, I probably took that from a list of 20 and I took seven. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of people. And he has those songs from that album that you just just know. You don't remember learning them or hearing them anymore. You just know. Well, Whitney Houston kind of jumped into this. She, I think it was Whitney Houston. She said whenever she was getting ready for any like performances, that was the first album she just Mm. put on. And Elton John would say if he was going to go anywhere, he was bringing that album with him. Oh, Yeah. That's cute. So real love and respect for that yeah. album. Totally understandable. It's a great album. Everybody should go listen to it. It's incredible. But Wiki says in 2005, it was inducted into the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress because it was deemed as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I can see that. I believe that. And I'm wondering what else is in there, though. That'd be a good episode. That would be a good episode. Tab it for next time. So it's number 57 on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest albums of all time, which I think it should be higher, but that's right. 57 is pretty good. Um, also, the album has been sampled by numerous of artists. <laughs> I forgot about this. I forgot about it too. So I'm going to set up the story. I am driving. This is the first time I'm really listening to this album. And his song, Pastime Paradise, starts playing. But here's the thing. Pastime Paradise is sampled by Coolio for <laughs> Gangster's Paradise. I forgot about that. It's that really good, like, you know, you know what I'm talking Stevie, about? Stevie, the original gangster. Well, when I heard it, literally I was so confused because I thought Stevie actually wrote <laughs> Gangster's Paradise with, with the lyrics. That'd be amazing. And then I realized like, oh no, wait, this is a sample. I wonder what he thinks of that song. That's a good question. But anyway, it, I've heard it sampled through that. It's sampled on Jay-Z's 444 album for the song Smile. And that's a great song too. And a pretty good album. But it's been sampled by numerous of people. But that's about songs in the key of life. I'm going to make a controversial decision here and skip over the 1990s and 2000s for time's sake. Yeah. I did this the first recording anyway. We're going to do it again. But to give you a snapshot of what... Because the 1990s and 2000s was more of his just commercial success. Mm-hmm. So he was performing at places like the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, 2002 Winter Paralympics in Salt Lake City, Utah, 
the Obama inauguration. Miss you. My boy. My boy and my girl, <laughs> Michelle. Michelle's going to be in a show with Viola Davis, by the way. I saw that. And I don't know if my heart can handle that. That's, like, That's too much talent. Have you, show. like, ever, like, because Josh sent me the news article and you just don't want to open it because you know you're going to get too hyped? Yeah. That's that's what I experienced when I learned that. I, I can feel that. Yeah. Anyway. And then he collaborates with a lot of artists like Sir Elton John. Love you. And Bruce Springsteen. And I want to move on to his legacy here. Because I think there's something we can learn from Stevie's life so far. Stevie was first not singing at all. But when he turned 20, he turned his attention to issues that mattered most to him. He found his footing by writing what he was passionate about, which was giving a voice to social issues happening in African-American communities. And his best-selling work was when he was true to himself as an artist. And I think that's so powerful. Using your experience and what you're observing in the world as a means for change. It's deep. Let's just move on to some stats here. He's gotten 25 Grammy Awards. That's a lot. Yeah. And he's also got a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Grammys as well. Warranted. Yep. He's got 10 U.S. number one hits on the pop charts as well as 20 on the R&B charts as well. He's sold over 100 million records. He was also the first Motown artist and the second African-American musician to win an Academy Award for Best Original Song. And to end this podcast, I think we need to end it with this quote from the great philosopher Kanye West. (laughs) And in 2005, Kanye West said of his own work, I'm not trying to compete with what's out there now. I'm really trying to compete with inversions and songs in the key of life. It sounds musically blasphemous to say something like that, but why not set that as your bar? It's a high bar. It is a high bar. You, you know, know you set a high bar when Kanye has to reach for your bar. <laughs> <laughs> well spoken. <laughs> but anyway, that's what we got on Stevie. We actually did okay on time. That's Yeah, not bad. We did good. For a second round. Also... Just want to throw in there that Stevie's adorable and everyone should watch his carpool karaoke video. Yes. I don't want to say it's the most wholesome because we'll eventually get to the most wholesome. I'm not going to spoil which one is the most wholesome. It's up there though. Yeah. It's adorable. It's got to be number two. It's Yeah, it's definitely a strong number And also, Stevie is like what, 70 now? Yeah. His voice is kicking. It's the same. It's still going. And he's just, he's a little bit crazy and it's amazing. That's fine. I love it. His, I was amazed. His little like runs yeah, are so perfect. They're amazing. We'll post it on our Facebook. Go like us on Facebook. Yes. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts we're not picky be sure to leave us a review on apple podcasts even if you listen on another platform please go to apple podcasts and leave a review it takes like five seconds we'll probably read it on the next show and we'll love you forever 
Uh, a special thanks to Josh Tarpley for our intro riff and Lauren Page Photography for our cover art. Shout out to our friends at Backline Coffee and Speaker Tree Records. If you're local to Lynchburg, go check them out. Recently tried the strawberry lemonade. It was fantastic and super delicious. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. You can follow each of us individually at Beth Ann Tarpley at Leah Elizabeth dot J. Don't forget the dot. The other one's not me. Um, and on that note, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. See you guys next time, where we won't have to re. Well, we'll have to re-record another episode. Yeah. But eventually, you'll you'll get the, the authentic experience. I'm gonna stop rambling now. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>